have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 17, but let me pray this prayer and then we'll get into the text. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those uh, sexually immoral dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hands a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes in the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. You guys may be seated. Maybe after reading that uh, text, you'll see why I sung, How Long, O Lord, How Long. Um, it's it's texts like these that I've not been looking forward to in Revelation, yet at the same time, I believe wholeheartedly that God has us here and he wants to speak to us about this. And um, uh, you guys, you guys know by now uh, the scarlet beast and the gold and the jewels and stuff. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know uh, what all that signifies. But today we continue in the seventh bowl of wrath that is being poured out on earth. And instead of this being like a continuation from from last week, it's almost like the backstory on the enemies of God. Last week we saw we saw just what the cult of empire can look like, and so Babylon being that. And then this week we see uh, one of the enemies of the, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see the enemy that is known as the great prostitute with the name of mystery. And the name of mystery is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes in the earth's abominations. Here in this text, we see uh, very clearly the invasive nature of sin and idolatry into our lives. And um, let me put it this way. Sin is anything that misses the mark of perfection in God's eyes. And idolatry is anything that is placed or we place it in the place where only God should be. Anything that has preeminence in our lives that other than God, that is idolatry. And I think idolatry is a little bit sneakier than sin. And it's sneakier than sin because if we, if we define sin as missing the mark of God's perfection, we all go, well, yeah, of course, we miss the mark of perfection. But idolatry and placing something uh, as important or first in our lives uh, is more difficult to see because we have so much that competes for that spot in our lives for our undivided attention. And it's a bit more difficult for us to discern or maybe even understand in our lives. And so um, idolatry does this thing like it can take a really good thing and then move it to preeminence. And then that becomes an idol and that idol destroys us. So it, it, we can take a thing like... Um, 
common idols in our culture are power, money, influence, or popularity, if you will. And none of those things are bad in, in, in and of themselves. If people have power and money and, and popularity or influence, and they are subjected to God with all those things, they can be used in great and glorious ways. But um, these are things that in our culture are... Um, People will do the most ridiculous and unscrupable things to gain in any of these areas. To gain in any of these areas. I have seen people do the worst things to themselves and to fellow human beings for gain in these areas. And, and it's one of those things that it's sometimes it's really sad to see. Sometimes like you, you can see uh, like a lot of time on like Facebook or Instagram culture, the 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 currency is likes and comments and stuff like that. And people just do the most ridiculous things just to have that, that thumbs up or that heart or get the attention that they so crave. So idolatry is one of these things too, where uh, we've seen people do really, really bad things just to get a little bit more money, just to get just a little bit more power or just to have influence over the right people. How many of us have been ignored by somebody because, quote unquote, someone important came by and then our friends kind of just like ditched us and went to talk to someone more important? Anybody that's happened? Yes. Okay. So most of us. And, and it's one of those things where um, they want to have influence over the right people or, or sit next to power. And then, and then when they get it, they wield that power or influence or money in unhealthy ways over people. And they lord it over people. And these are common idols in our culture. And the, and the great prostitute is the idols of this world that are trying to take us away from worshiping Jesus. That's what the great prostitute is. Or at least it's the mother of these idols. It's the one that's given birth to all these things. And this language here in this text is sexual language to show the lewdness and the shame of chasing idols. It's one of those things. It's pitting the great prostitute over against fidelity in Christ, over against just staying with him. And we can, we can think of it this way. Sex is an intimate act that God can use to deepen our relationships with one another. It is a beautiful and great gift that God gives us. Um, it, it brings life into this world, but it is also totally enjoyable. And so it's one of those things that God does this because he wants us to have life come forth from us, but he also wants us to enjoy life, enjoy the love of our spouse. And there is a connection that can happen that is beautiful and loving and it's completely intimate and it's not meant to be shared with every person you have an affinity for. In fact, the New Testament in the New Testament church, sexual relations should be between a husband and a wife and should not be shared with anyone other than that. And it should not be shared certainly not with a prostitute and certainly not in adultery. And adultery and prostitution would include lust even in our minds, that's what Jesus says, even in our minds. It would include any form of pornography. But more than just sexual sexuality, it is also a level of intimacy there that happens. I can say it this way. Mo knows me better than any other person in this world does. She knows me in, better than any person. There are conversations that we've had. There are attitudes that I've revealed only to her. You guys can probably see it. I wear stuff on my face, but you can probably see it at times. But she knows 
the depth behind it. She knows the hurts and the wounds that are there. She knows the insecurities and insufficiencies of mine that she knows them to a level that you guys can only guess at. And I feel safe enough to share them with her because she is her and because she is my wife and because of that mutuality that we have there, that intimacy that we have. It's a marital relationship. And this was set up to show what fidelity and fidelity or faithfulness can look like. It gives an apt metaphor for the reality of what faithfulness can look like in this life. It also allows us to practice faithfulness and loyalty to to each other. But then also as we do that, we give ultimately our loyalty to God. And in loyalty, we know that we limit ourselves to the giving of one. Not, Not oneself to another, not everybody else. And in our limits, we allow for a deeper and more powerful and more meaning relationships. This is an example of the life that we found in Christ. It's the example of the life that we found in him. We've met the one that we want to be loyal to for all time in every way. And in that way, when we meet Jesus and start walking with him, it is like a marriage. I used to love when Noel would say, Jesus is my boyfriend or Jesus is my husband. I used to love that because that was very real and very sincere that all the loyalty, all that used to be given to somebody else is given to Jesus. And that's what we get to do. And now... Even though through the example of sexual fidelity is used in Revelation to show the loyalty that we get to have in Jesus, the, the New Testament also tells us that it is better for a person to remain single if they can. If they can remain single because they can be more committed to Jesus than a married person. And I believe this wholeheartedly to be true. I believe anytime I've been in church and people talk about marriage, it's always like single people just get like short shrift. They're just like, oh, you're, you know good luck. Hopefully it'll happen for you one day when that's not the case. Like God set it up for it's better for a person to, to be married to Jesus, to not have that uh, husband or wife. And, and there, there is some things that they miss out on for sure, but there is also a real beauty in the way that they can move and act and the, what God can do in their lives. Think of this, they don't have to consider kids or the feelings of others. And I'm not talking about in a negative way. I'm just talking about like, if God says go, they can be like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to pick up and I'm going to move. And they can, in a truer and even maybe even a better way, be married to Jesus. Marriage is not set up as the greatest gift to Christians. Paul says the greatest gift to Christians as far as relationship is singleness is better in many ways. And I pray that single people may hear that and understand and live into the power of that word that God has in in that. And yet the Bible has used the image of adultery and prostitution through the whole book to show us the ugliness of this sin and idolatry in our world. The Bible has used these images here in Revelation 17 and 18, and it'll give us an honest look at the reality of idolatry and the reality of its nature. If we are to live in fidelity and relationships, then any form of cheating is harmful and damaging, period. If we are lured away from faithfulness by any promise, that promise is a false promise and it's unhelpful in the long run to to live a good and pure life for Christ. 
And as we attempt to live for Jesus, we want to live for Jesus with every aspect of our life, every single area of our life, not just certain sections of life, but the whole of it. And we desire to strive for life lived solely for Jesus, even those that are married. We have our spouses, but we strive to live our life solely for Jesus. Revelation 17 is showing us the nature of idols and what they are like and how they don't want us to live this way. In a healthy marriage, a man and woman remain faithful to one another for all time. Amen? They don't cheat on one another sexually or in any other relational way. They don't sell or rent out any of their marital rights or privileges to anybody else. And I'm not just talking about sexuality, but emotionally as well. And there are many thoughts and deeds and words that are reserved for that most intimate of relationships only. That is, if the marriage is to remain healthy. And faithfulness will understand and treasure this relationship above all others. And in faithfulness of marriage, we are supposed to see the faithfulness of Jesus. Because Jesus loves us. Jesus forgives us. Jesus bears our wrongs. Jesus knows us better than anybody else, even the unpleasant parts. And he still says, I love you. And that's what marriage is supposed to be like. None of us have a perfect marriage like Jesus is perfect. But we all strive to be Christ-like. And for those who are married, we strive to be Christ-like in our marriage. And those who are single, we strive to be Christ-like in our marriage to Jesus to reflect Jesus to those around us. This is what we get to do. And when a couple is fully devoted to Jesus, both of them have Jesus above their marriage, it is a beautiful and powerful thing to behold. That is because it looks more like Jesus than it does themselves. And that's what we get to have. And now if we have a picture of what a healthy marriage can look like and a healthy symbol of God's love towards us in Christ, then we also know that we have an enemy who doesn't want us to live in health. Does not want us to live in health. This enemy takes something beautiful like marriage and sex and turns it into what the text says here is an abomination. And an abomination, I love this word actually, it's a pollutant that, that is meant to defile beautiful and pure things. It's anything that comes in and is toxic. And it does this because it hates beauty. At the end of the day, it wants to pervert beauty. And this is what idols are. They hate beauty. They hate good gifts. They hate purity. They want to gobble up the the good in life and turn it into something loathsome. That's what idolatry does. And when we chase ultimate satisfaction, the kind that we can only get from being content in Christ and who he says we are, and then seeking first the kingdom of God, this is a beautiful thing. And when we chase that ultimate satisfaction in Christ, it's a beautiful thing. And the chase is to be a satisfaction and it's a great endeavor something that we should strive for but it can also be easily polluted and that's where we need to be wise as we live and when we chase ultimate satisfaction in anything other than jesus we run into this problem of idolatry the picture here that is painted of idolatry is one that is a warning for us idols sit and wait for an opportune an opportune time to trick us into cheating on our fidelity with Christ with these other things. They lure us with seductions and false promises and promises of false satisfaction. 
They promise fulfillment and release only to, to us to do damage, and they damage our relationships. And then I love the picture here because it shows just how bloodthirsty idols really are. Idols don't give up life. They don't give up their life. They steal life from others. They steal it and thrive off the blood of their victims. They dominate their prey and they don't relent. They just keep going for it. And they want to steal every ounce of goodness and purity away from their lives. They lure, it, uh, they lure us in with half-truths and good things, turning those good things into first things and a, a position that they were never meant to held, hold. Idols will tempt us and lure us because they are deceitful. That's the way that they are. They will bring us in and then they will crush us and squeeze the blood out of us until we have no more life left in us. They will take our blood as fuel for their deceit. We've all heard that um, rich people aren't the most satisfied in life. And oftentimes they're the most miserable, right? We've all heard stories of this. We've all uh, seen news reports on this, but... It wouldn't, uh, but, and, and oftentimes we think, well, I wouldn't be that way if I had that much money, but we're also lured into it. Money's not a bad thing. Um, but if we thought that, um, money would be the ultimate satisfaction and all our problems would be solved with just a little bit more money, it's not. So it lures us in because it wants us to have just a little bit more. And then once we have a little bit more, we need just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It just keeps taking and taking and taking from us and it eats us up and it takes our blood away from us. And as we've seen in Revelation, the symbol of blood is a symbol of life. It takes our life away from us and it doesn't serve us in living the full life that Jesus would have for us. Idols are a dangerous, dangerous, sneaky and tricky thing that we need to stay on guard against. And as a warning to Christians, because sometimes Christians are like, well, I don't worship idols. I study my Bible. I, I know what God's word says. And knowledge can be an idol and so can certainty. We often want to know or think something or have a bit more knowledge and that, that these things will somehow deepen our relationship with Christ. And like if we just study harder or memorize more verses or the right verses or understand the deeper meaning behind scripture, all of these are excellent things in and of themselves, but they can also become idols in the Christian community real quickly. And then, and then there's certainty. Being certainty and knowing how God acts and thinks about everything or most things is dangerous as well. We want to search the mind of Christ. That's what we get to do. But his ways are so much greater than our ways. And his mind is infinite, whereas ours are finite. And we can't understand his ways or his timing or some of the things he's doing. Oftentimes, we think that things are certain, and in that certainty, it is a trap. We don't get to dictate to God how to be or act. Amen? That's not what we get to do. We get to remain humble and walk with Him day in and day out. And then I was thinking about this, because this, this is a hard thing, because certainty is good. We all want to know, like, with, with certainty. And we all want to believe, and we all want to have faith and we all want to have more knowledge of Christ but we have to look no further than Jesus interactions with the Bible scholars of his day Jesus 
was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes, with sinners, with people who had idols. And Jesus was accused of being a partier and a bit of a rebel. And he didn't show up and act how the scholars and church leaders wanted him to or told everybody that this is how Jesus would be. And then we can see that Jesus, his harshest words were reserved for those religious people who thought they knew everything and thought they knew how God would act. And I want to make a note about the the use of the word prostitute because it comes up in the next couple chapters. This word used for prostitute is not any woman who's been a prostitute ever. It's not that. It's, it's a, part of the mean, a part of the meaning of this word and the usage here and the usage in Revelation, even in like the word studies on this word. It it's, signifies a political entity that is hostile to God. We saw that last week in the cult of government. That's hostile to God, and we talked about that. And, and it's when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. That's all it is, and sometimes governments do that. And so we can look at it in that way. And in, in my friends and, and st- in my studies and talking with most women who I've, like I've known who are prostitutes, or they, they have been prostituted, which is different. They have been owned, they have been used, they have been controlled by another person. The prostitutes themselves have fallen prey to the lure of idolatry, whether that idolatry be security from friendships that they have that can only be functioned through this this warped world of prostitution. Maybe the security is money or provision, or maybe it's sex. But in this, their lifeblood has been stolen. Their lives have been destroyed in the process. This text is not meant to shame prostitutes at all, even if it is a warning. We can be reminded and comforted that Jesus hung out with such women, giving them dignity and giving them worth and love and acceptance. And Jesus was likely the only man that they ever met, that these women met, that he didn't need or want anything from them. He loved them for who they were and he never forced himself on them. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he does for us. As we uh, wrap up this sermon The blood-taking nature of idols should be pit against the blood-giving nature of Jesus. The fact that these idols need so much blood to fuel their flame and they fuel their idolatry and they they take our, our blood as fuel for their deceit. Whereas Jesus gave his blood because he knew we'd fall prey to these and be victims of these idols. And he didn't want us to stay in idolatry And only his blood could wash us clean and forgive us for the times that we have fallen. The blood of idols wants to remind us that we are dirty and full of shame. And it wants to cling to us and stick to us and tell us that we're not worthy and that God can't love us because of these things. Yet the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross wants to forgive us and remind us that he has seen our sins. He knows them. And he doesn't want to call us dirty. He wants us to be forgiven and clean and accepted fully in his love. And it's a beautiful thing when we are fully seen, fully known, and yet fully loved. And Jesus rose from the grave to give us a new way of life. And I pray that we, in our singleness for those who are single, in, uh, in, in marriage for those that are married, may reflect the beautiful, the beautiful faithfulness and forgiveness of Christ to this world who is desperately seeking satisfaction. 
and we can be content in the gifts that God has given us. I pray, this has been my prayer this week. May we be faithful to Christ in all we say and do. As individuals and as a group, may we be faithful to Christ in all we say and do. May we let His blood wash away our sin, and in that forgiveness, may we live a life free from the false idols of this world and their devastating effects. So Jesus, will you please do this in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.